as we are back here for another month of Cancel Too Soon. My name is Jerome Cusan. You can find me on Twitter at Jerome C1985. We have been discussing a number of shows that uh, we believe have been canceled too soon. This month, we are reviewing the first season of the HBO show Togetherness. I have seen both seasons of Togetherness. My co-host, Kevin Ford, has only seen the first season and specifically seeing it uh, for this podcast. You can find him on Twitter at KFord13. Kevin and I have done a number of podcasts, not just Cancel Too Soon. You can go back into the archives and check out Real Bad, Mars Investigated. There's always another podcast. You can also listen to us talk about Barry, among so many shows. We've just talked about so many shows at this point. Kevin Ford has also done a podcast about Lost from Broadcast Depth. He has also done an Adventure Time podcast. Uh, I have done podcasts with at Brian DeBrain. We have discussed superhero movies. Uh, we've discussed various trilogies, including Lord of the Rings, which I know is pretty relevant to people. So make sure to go back into the archives and listen to all of that. Leave a four or five star review uh, to let the people know about what we're doing here at The Real World. And quite honestly, I've also been listening to Ben and Matt discuss uh, movies from the 1980s. So definitely go check out what they're doing as well. Uh, that is it for the plugs, Kevin. Uh, so one of the things that I, I do have to say is, as I am thinking about TV shows uh, for us to review, there, there are a number of factors that I take into consideration. Like, is Kevin Ford going to like this show? Is, is this worth talking about? Is there going to be interesting conversation? But the other thing that I'm always trying to do, Kevin Ford, is... Will the show emotionally break you? And I feel like I did a good job picking out uh, the show for this month. Yeah, I think you did. I, I'm really proud of myself. Because uh, what what is the uh, the text message that you sent as soon as you were done with season one? Uh, I don't remember exactly. You said you were going to read it on the air. I did say I was going to read it on the air. And unfortunately, I'm a bad podcaster because I don't have it ready. So, Kevin, while I am finding that text message, I'm going to be a good podcaster and ask you a question to kill time. So I'm going to ask, what was your relationship with this show and the relationship with some of the performers on here? The show was nothing. Hadn't even heard of it until you mentioned it for the podcast. I don't know that I've seen anything with Melanie Linsky or Steve Zissis before. Melanie Linsky is someone who, like, I see her and I'm like, I know this face. And I look at her IMDb and I'm like, I maybe have seen her in something like. I feel like she was maybe on like an episode of that Netflix show. Easy that maybe I saw. I could be making that up. Steve Zissis and other guys like, oh, I feel like I've seen that face, but I don't recognize him in anything. Amanda Pita, I, of course, know because we covered Brockmire before that. Um, Saving Silverman is a guilty pleasure movie of mine. And I, you know, she does stuff now and again, but I can't remember really much of what it is. But Mark Duplass is the one that is like someone I'm so fascinated with. I first knew of Mark Duplass through the television show The League, which some friends told me was really funny. They're like, listen, we know you don't care about football. Trust me, you'll find the show funny. I was like, okay. Gave it a shot. Loved it. One of my favorite comedy shows. And then Mark Duplass was on an episode of Mark Maron's podcast, and I listened to it. And I couldn't believe how different a person Mark Duplass is from the character he plays in the show. And I was like, wait, he did like these 
weird deep movies and like he has this brother and stuff so like i was just like blown away by him and so then like i went and saw what was streaming of his and i watched safety not guaranteed and uh like jeff who lives at home and then later i think it's called the one i love the movie he did with um elizabeth moss that's it and so i was like oh wow so he so it's just like such a different person from who i know him playing on the league and just in general and then I watched this show and I knew it was a, a Mark uh, and his brother, the Duplass brothers, put this show together and I watch it. And it's like it feels so much like one of those movies that they do. It has that exact same like sensibility. But it's interesting because I feel like the lead couple, Michelle and Brett, are like one side of the storytelling that the Duplass brothers do. And then Alex and Tina represent another side of the stories they do. And they sort of together are an amalgam of what the Duplass brothers represent in general but it very much feels like one of their movies i would agree with you the text message that kevin ford sent to me after he got done with season one of togetherness is i guess i just finished season one i want to die yeah that's that sums it up it was very hard not to <laughs> jump ahead to season two because i was like i want to feel better because i feel like just knowing what happens next will will help um but I didn't. I restrained myself because I think that would hurt my feelings, my general feelings on season one if I if I went ahead. I would agree with you. So I'll just give my brief thoughts. I actually watched this show as it was happening on a weekly basis. My memory is that this show generally followed seasons of Game of Thrones, which is really, really awkward, if you ask me. And. Uh, I think it says a lot that I'm going to rewatch Togetherness, but I will never rewatch Game of Thrones, and I will never watch any future Game of Thrones TV shows. That I'm just going to put that out there. My relationship with Mark Duplass is very similar to yours in that I also watched The League, shockingly enough, uh, relationship with football. Um, and that show really introduced me to a lot of a lot of important comedy people like Paul Shear, like Nick Kroll. So, yeah, I definitely have a relationship with that show as well, especially those first few seasons that were really, really funny. So I've been a big Mark Duplass fan and I've seen him in a number of things since then. Safety Not Guaranteed is a super underrated movie. And it's just unfortunate that Colin Trevorrow has just basically been in Jurassic World ever since because I really do like that movie. And uh, the movie that you mentioned with Elizabeth Moss is something I've also really liked. And really, the Duplass brothers are a huge part of this this movement of comedies called Mumblecore. Uh, I don't know. Kevin, have you heard of Joe Swanberg? Uh, I don't know that name. So he's made movies like Drinking Buddies, these very, like, very small, like, micro-budgeted comedies. And they're very much in the same vein as, the, as this show. Yeah, I'm that aware of that movie. Yeah, it's a, it, they're very tiny and they're very, very humbly. They're much more character-based than, than plot-based, and I would say that that is what makes Togetherness unique from a lot of the shows that we do, have discussed is that it's so much more about the character relationships and less about the plot. And I think for that reason, for most of the episodes, what we're going to be doing is I'm just going to hit on the like the important plot points and we'll just both share our thoughts and just kind of go from there. Uh, the exception to that will be the first episode, which we will uh, get to in a minute. But uh, just to wrap things up, I, I mean, I, I think Amanda Pete is super underrated. And, you know, I watched Brock Meyer and thought that I watched this season and I was like, boy, Amanda Pete really is super underrated and does not get the credit she deserves. Uh, she's great. 
And yeah, I, I I think I've I feel like I've seen her in so many things. Saving Silverman is a movie I do not like, which would probably make for an interesting conversation. <laughs> uh, but she was also in the whole nine yards, which I really liked. Uh, Steve Zesis also had never seen it before, but was really impressed with him. And uh, Melanie Linsky, funny enough, she is uh, she is uh, probably best known in some ways for a show that neither you and I probably have ever seen a full episode of, and that is Two and a Half Men. I for sure have never seen an episode start to finish of Two and a Half Men. Yeah, with good with good reason. Um, she is also known, I would say, at this point, uh, for being very good on Twitter. Uh, Kevin, you'll be happy to know that her cover photo on Twitter is her dog and her bio is giving her dog's name. Yeah, that's great. That's all I really want to know about people on Twitter. I'm doing a quick re look, look at her Wikipedia. I saw Detroit Rock City ages ago, but I don't really remember her in that. Yeah, she's done a lot of stuff like even that uh, like Joe Swanberg, like that happy Christmas movie she did. So seems like she's semi typecast. In those kind of films. Yeah, and she's also in Yellow Jackets. Yellow Jackets is a really yes. huge deal. And Kevin, if you ever bring back from broadcast depth, I feel like Yellow Jackets, I, I you should absolutely bring it back. It's up there. It's that's something we've discussed bringing back. Ben and I have talked about potentially doing another another different podcast, but something that it's too much to talk about here because it's off topic. But Yellow Jackets would definitely be something if we did like a from broadcast depth, like, you know, addendum or epilogue or something like that. I think that would be interesting to watch. Uh, maybe wait till it's finished. Cause I feel like it's got at least another season or two in it. And, you know, Kevin, I am really glad that you and I are able to come together and we have our own special podcasting relationship, but we are able to also then go ahead and podcast with other people. Uh, I'm glad that we could be ethically non-monogamous. And what a uh, what a segue. Jesus like, Christ. Because I feel like Brett and Michelle, from the very beginning of this series, I feel like ethical non-monogamy would be really helpful for them. Uh, yeah, I would say so. Um and that's been something that I feel like the culture at large is starting to somewhat open up to. Not everybody, of course. I would say the majority still haven't. But this idea of like, like you said, non-monogamy or like, um, like polyamory, like uh, or or things of that nature on, on various different levels, whether it's emotional or physical or what have you. Um, and this does sort of. I think ring true of maybe some people, the P the, the person in my life who I thought of the most when I saw this episode was somebody who got married very young and had kids very young. Um, our, my, our friend, Chris, he, uh, he, like I, he, he started dating his now wife when they were pretty young, I would say, um, you know, late twenties, but she went off to get her PhD in another place. And he kind of had, his twenties to sort of party and hang out with friends and do all that stuff. So by the time she was done with her PhD and they moved in together, he had kind of gotten all that out of his system or my friend who got married much younger because he was in uh, the army and stuff like that. And then he had kids really young. I, he, I think he sort of feels like maybe he missed out on some life or missed some things. And that's who I think of when I see uh, when I see Brett and Michelle uh, I don't know. They give us an exact timeline of when they got married or what have you, but it does seem like they're longing for this independence or, or younger state of self. So they didn't necessarily get all out of their system or get the most out of 
uh, before getting into this life. And now they're in their 30s and they're going through some sort of midlife crisis. Yeah, one of the things that I think is kind of a flaw is that we don't really get an exact sense of how long they've been together. This is the way I read it, and you could disagree. And I'm taking kind of all the information from the first season and kind of putting it together uh, because Michelle talks about being a social worker and and kind of being uh, actually employed in the 20s. It feels like these two may have been together for a while, either dating, married, um, and then they made a decision to like have kids in their 30s. So it feels like maybe they were together in their 20s without kids, and now they're they're kind of older. Brett very clearly identifies himself as being 37. I don't, Michelle's age is never identified, but I would presume maybe 30s, mid 30s. So I think there's a distinct possibility that they've been together for a while. Um, They kind of almost had another life living in Los Angeles, especially because Brett is involved in the industry. So I feel like there is that possibility that they've just been together for a really long time. And Sophie and Frankie, their children, whose names I can't believe I actually remembered offhand. I think that they've just changed their lives so much. And that's that's kind of what is bringing them to this point where uh, Brett is trying to have sex with his wife and uh, she's almost having none of it. And he tries masturbating in the bed is also rejected from doing that, too. Well, he was he was I mean, look, she was sleeping. He was in bed and he was rocking the bed while he was doing that. I don't think the issue that he was masturbating, it's like, go to the bathroom or go to the guest room or something and <laughs> let me sleep. I, I, I took go ahead. I, I took Michelle's side on this one. Yeah, I think I think you could definitely take Michelle's side in a lot of these arguments, but I also feel like there are times when Brett is right. And I think that's what makes the show good is that there are times when they're arguing and when they're discussing something when you can definitely see both sides. And I think that just makes for a much more interesting show Whereas if somebody is clearly in the wrong. Yeah, I think that's a real big strength of the show is that it is highly relatable. You And I think some of the times where it's the most frustrating or least compelling is when it is not relatable. But I think this idea of people in their 30s who have had their kids who feel bored or in a rut or and that makes them long for their independence or their younger selves or to uh, like to be more free spirited and less in a box. Because it does feel like Something that, and even I think Brett might be more of uh, uh, someone who could be more accused of this than Michelle maybe is very much like living inside certain parameters. Like we're a married couple with kids. This is what we do. I go to work. You know, I'm the breadwinner. The mom takes care of the kids. That's life. That's how life works. And, you know, occasionally we'll get away for a date night, do this, do that. And I think a lot of that roteness and sticking to these very rigid societal roles has kind of caused the demise of the relationship. One of the things that I really like is, and I I really wish that this season had been like 10 or 12 episodes, because I think one of the things that I would have loved to have seen is just an episode with only Brett and Alex and get an episode with only Michelle and Tina, because Brett and Alex, I really love their relationship and their friendship because I love the fact that it doesn't come off as like broy. There's like it's not about the sexual tension. Like this is clearly a platonic, healthy male friendship. I you don't see that on TV enough. I don't think, and I, it would not surprise me if it is representative of their real friendship. Uh, but I really appreciated all of the Brett and Alex conversations because they always felt productive and they always felt like 
they were trying to help each other, better each other, as opposed to like tearing each other down or going for like an easy joke or something homophobic. I, and in the first scene, like we see Brett giving him like this motivational talk as, as Alex is uh, consuming some donuts. And I, yeah, I just, I really love all of their interactions throughout the season. I do too. It's a great relationship. And I think that is one of the, the one of the things I don't like about the show. And I think it is because of the constraints of time is there are times where they do telling but not showing. Like we through conversation, you realize that that uh, they've had these conversations. Brett and Michelle have like where we don't see the conversation where Brett talks about Linda with Michelle. We don't see the conversation where Michelle talks about Dave with Brett. We're told that they now know about it, but we don't get to see the conversations and the reactions and how they present those people in their lives to each other. We don't get to see any of the therapy session that they go through. And I think a lot of that is just like we don't have the time to do this. But I think so much of that stuff would have been better with more time. And I do think the Brett and uh, Alex relationship with more time would have given the show in some in some cases much needed levity now and again. And I think that is it is it, it is maybe my favorite relationship on the show and the one that has explored the least. Something that I think is an interesting calibration of how different the show is compared to the previous show that we discussed party down is the presence of Ken Marino. I completely forgot that Ken Marino was in the first episode. And I feel like as I was watching, I was like, is Kevin thinking that I did this on purpose? I am not that good of a podcast host. Despite that earlier segue, Kevin Ford, I am not that good of a podcast host. But I think Ken Marino is an interesting barometer for this show because on Party Down, he's very broad in some cases. There's a lot of physical humor. There's a lot of jokes. But here he is much more grounded, I would say. And really his only purpose is uh, because Tina thinks that they may be boyfriend-girlfriend. They are, in fact, not. And I, I will say, I think Ken Marino's character, Craig, is kind of in the right in this situation. Maybe he could be more communicative, but I don't feel like he ever did her dirty or anything of that of that sort. But Ken Marino's presence is very interesting considering where we were coming from with Party Down and kind of the tone of that show. And I think it really gives you an idea just how different, yes, this show is techni- technically a comedy but it is much more of a dramedy. And I think Ken Marino is kind of representative of that. Well, I did 100% think it was intentional when I watched the show. I was like, oh, that's a fun segue to go from party down to this. But it was just a nice coincidence. But I think it also helps to serve to tell you who Tina is. She's the girl who's good looking. She's fun. She's flirtatious. She's good for a one night stand. But she doesn't seem to be somebody that any that that Ken Marino's character kind of representing all men are interested in caring much beyond that into like a, a serious relationship. And I think that's where she finds herself as the season begins. Yeah. And we see that later as Tina is very annoyed by the fact that Craig is hanging out with another woman and there's clearly about to be a confrontation. And this is when Alex saves Tina with a, uh, with a bit of a bit, I would say he takes his shirt off and uh, goes a little crazy. This is uh, very endearing to Tina. And this is kind of what starts uh, their friendship and uh, there's a there's a great line of dialogue where uh, it is said you got to know when to fold them and kick them in the nuts and uh, I really appreciated that and there's a little bit of flirting there's some teeping of Craig's house 
And uh, it's funny to me that uh, toilet paper plays a key role in two episodes of this series, especially given where our current relationship is with toilet paper. I feel like the toilet paper situation is okay now. It is, but it just feels like for a good solid two to three months there, it feels like toilet paper was as good as gold. If if you were watching this in 2020, you would be like, what are you doing? You're throwing (laughs) away gold bars. Uh, yes, uh, I do like that even in episode one, even amidst all this tension with Brett catching Michelle trying to masturbate, I like seeing them also have fun together and not be at each other's throats all the time. I think that's also something that I think a lot of shows would just fall into that trap, and I appreciate that they don't fall into it here. You have to, because if I just see this couple hating each other the whole show, I'm like, why don't you just break up and just get it over with? Like, um, You get more annoyed with them than anything, but you have to see that Oh, yeah, they do love each other, that there are moments of good amidst all the the chaos or not communicating or whatever. Like, there has to be heart to it or else you're just like, I don't I hate these people. Why are they still together? This is like now I just feel they're stupid for staying together more than anything else. All right. So Tina was supposed to go back to Houston, but she decides that she is going to stay uh, with Brett and Michelle. Uh, Alex is also going to be there. So they're going to be roommates. And so we're going to have the four of them in the in the house. And I feel like if this were a network sitcom, Kevin, this would lead to lots of hijinks in the house. We we don't really get any hijinks. I think we get a couple moments of it, but they're much more throwaway than I was expecting. And I really appreciate how little time we spend just focusing on the idea of all these people in the house. And that the, this show has much more interesting aspirations, even if it isn't totally successful. Like Tina would would for sure have complained about like Alex's pews being on the toilet seat or something. Or they would divide the room in half and then Brett and Michelle would just walk through and be like, you can't do this. I, I will say Brett and Michelle are the most patient people to have these two people just living in their house with no end date in sight. I would not stand for that. I will say I, I think Brett and Michelle can certainly be accused of of doing some stupid things later in the season. But they are really good siblings and really good friends. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. So wait, how is Tina related to them again? Tina is is Michelle's sister. Sister, okay. I thought she was also another friend. Oh well. They, what they are sis- but that's I think that's part of the problem with the show is they never really they have a couple they definitely have a sibling relationship. I think the way that they talk to each other and how personal they get at times. I think you definitely can see that you could definitely see it, but it's, it's not overt. And again, that's why I think just having an episode with those two and their relationship, I think would have been a huge positive. Right. Cause, cause to me, the relationship is very similar to, um, to Brett and Alex's, which speaks to the strength of Brett and Alex as friends. If you can compare them to blood siblings, but I guess just because I wasn't aware of that, I was like, Oh, maybe they could also be friends because this is how, Alex and Brett, who are also friends, act around each other. All right. So before we end episode one, Kevin, I know you always like songs. Can you rate the cookie song that Alex sings to Tina at the end? I don't really remember this song. Oh, Kevin. It was was feeding her cookies. Cookies, man. (sighs) Sorry, I got nothing for you. I am. I am. So if it was David Costable, you would remember. Mm, Yes, I would. In fact, I have a great memory of the the science song he sings right now. Uh, but no, nothing, nothing about the cookie song. I will say, whatever episode it is that ends with Alex and Brett air drumming in the car, I remember that very well. 
Who doesn't love a good air drumming? Uh, let's go into episode two as we kind of explore, explore what Brett is interested in. I really like the fact that we get to see him at his job. I think that's really helpful to kind of understand his frustrations. So I just want to talk about like the Brett part of this first, and then we'll kind of get into the Brett Michelle stuff. So we see Brett kind of gathering sounds, getting the actual song of a, or the actual sound of some coyotes making noise. And he brings this into the sound booth for a director who just simply does not care for this and wants to go back to the original sound. I feel like this director, Kevin, is based on somebody that Mark Duplass has had interactions with, and I would just love to know. So what I, and I, for some reason, I got like Tiger King meets Jesse Pinkman vibes from this guy. I could see that. I was also thinking like maybe like a Brett Ratner or somebody of that nature, like uh, maybe a Michael Bay type. I mean, because I think he's kind of an alpha, kind of an alpha male type, but just, just you see... Brett's frustration, and I really like the fact that Brett kind of has this under, like, this non-facing part of the movie business job, and that he's not, like, a director or a writer, but he's, like, a sound guy, and I feel like that is something that, again, we don't see on TV a lot, but not only is he a sound guy, but he actually likes, he may not like his job, but he loves the idea of sounds and that is clearly something that's important to him. And that, that idea of him going through nature and listening to sounds and being kind of connected to nature, that is an important part of Brett's character. It's, I think it speaks a lot to him where it seems like some of the happiest moments he has in the show is when he discovers a sound or he's alone, you know, remotely recording a sound I think that's a really great subtlety to his character when you see that that's it, that makes him immensely happy to be in that place. But it also goes to show like how we see this is such a a part of his life. It's what he does. It's what he takes great uh, confidence in. It's what he takes great pride in doing. And then the director, he just couldn't possibly care any less. So we we have Michelle talking about the process of sex, and I I love the fact that she talks about this process, but we don't actually see it for a couple of episodes, even though there's an important kind of sex scene that's going to take place later, which I, I can't even imagine the secondhand embarrassment that Kevin experienced while watching this. So Tina decides she's going to take the kids out of the house so Brett and Michelle can, can, can kink it up a little bit, I guess. Brett has had a very frustrating day and I can imagine him just coming home into the situation being like, I, I, I really just want to not do this. And so we have, a, we have them kind of in the bedroom and she's kind of taking control. She's kind of controlling the situation to the point where she is spanking him accidentally spanks him in his, in his balls. And uh, that leads to uh, a really funny, it's funny, sad, awkward, uncomfortable, all at the same time. I feel like there may have been some consent issues also at play here, but I will give the show credit in this specific situation. It is the man who is the one who is nude and vulnerable. And I feel like there's a lot of shows where they just wouldn't do that. Not just a male, but also one of the directors of the episode. So props to Mark Duplass for doing this and making himself very vulnerable in this episode. Uh, any thoughts? Any thoughts on this entire scene? It was well. It was very funny. 
Uh, I, I, I liked having that levity there. I see, you know, I could see how if I were in Michelle shoes, I'd just be so annoyed with a constant barrage of questions when all she wants is just like this, like natural dominating evening for herself. And, but I also relate with Brett. I don't like surprises in general. So I too would probably have a lot of questions. Plus dude, if you're hungry, forget about it. You need to, you need to take care of that. I feel like you and I are very, very much in line with Brett's way of thinking just as characters. Probably. Yeah. Uh, so in terms of, uh, in terms of Tina, she takes the kids away. Uh, she and Alex are kind of hanging out together and there's a point when Alex is still asleep and Tina quite aggressively wakes him up by dumping water on him. That is incredibly rude. Kevin never, ever wake someone up like that. Just let them be, let them sleep. Don't ever do that. He does get his revenge by dumping ice on her as they <laughs> enter the house at the end of the episode. So that is a very, very fun payoff. And it's it's just fun to see them having this like platonic kind of flirty thing going on. And also Tina decides that uh, she is going to train Alex to become a leading man. This show also does kind of these parallel storylines really well. Like what's going on in one scene will often parallel what's going on elsewhere. So you have Michelle kind of dominating, controlling her situation. And Tina is kind of doing the same thing with Alex, except it's it's not about sex. It's about Alex becoming more of a leading man, taking control of his life. So I really like when the show is able to do that. And it happens a number of times throughout the season that they're able to kind of have this mirroring of what's going on with each of the uh, relationships. So, yeah, I really, really liked episode two and really just like the fact that they kind of expanded things a little bit, got to know Brett, but also kind of letting Tina and Alex kind of explore what they're doing as well. It, yeah, it showed that Tina is really what Alex needs in like sort of like a life coach. Like I, it feels like, uh, you know, similar to Brett, Alex maybe overthinks or is very much like, ah, you know, I'm fat. I'm sort of the person who gets these roles like whatever. That's just who I am. I'm stuck in this way and that is what it is. And she's the one who is able to kind of kick him in the butt and be like, just throw away the pizza. Well, but this, no, no. Just throw it away and you and you move on. And that's exactly the sort of guidance he needs in that moment. Um, And yeah, this is where I start to really enjoy the dynamic between the two of them. And I think that is such good advice for a lot of people in life. The way that Tina interacts with Alex is just you get in this way about like thinking who you are and being too afraid to move forward and change where Tina just really just. Tells you just, hey, don't think about it. Just go where you want to be. Like, why why can't you be a leading man? Why don't you take the the necessary actions to do so? And it, and it really gets to him. And yes, uh, you talk about musical moments. Alex at the end, dumping the ice, then singing the big uh, the payback by James Brown is so great. So yeah, this as as funny as the relationship stuff was between Brett and Michelle, Alex and Tina really blossom. Uh, as uh, their relationship really blossoms in this episode. Uh, We start with episode three with Tina and Alex working out and uh, uh, Tina at one point calling the workout. This is insanity, which is also the name of the episode. (laughs) I also love that a male person gives Tina a letter that is for Brett and Tina just opens Brett, Brett's mail, (laughs) (laughs) which is incredibly rude. 
Well, and also, uh, Insanity is the name of a very popular workout program. Very, it's uh, like high intensity interval training. It's sort of similar to like CrossFit ish, but it's very funny to see the very out of shape Alex being put through this, and Tina's just fine. And I love that the male person sees them as like, is everything okay? <laughs> and that's just like <laughs> keeps looking as she closes the door. But yeah, don't know. Tina is 100% the type of person who just opens mail, though. Like that, that to me feels right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I will say this episode has two, like, you really don't get a lot outside unless there is, unless you're in the cast as a main cast member, or if you're like a guest star, like Peter Gallagher, who is introduced in this episode, you don't really get those small moments, but you actually get two of them here. You get one of them with the male person. You also get one later on when Michelle is in the bar, is in the bar and the bartender is pretty hilarious by like, he has this big speech about what he's doing and the bartenders just trying to upsell her on food. I really appreciated that as well. Uh, so Michelle is filling out private school applications. She is very frustrated by the process and uh, this kind of pays off in the end as she kind of goes to a watering hole. Uh, she gets some cigarettes, blows smoke at a young teenager's face, which is totally a dick move. If that kid gets cancer, I hope he sues her. Michelle walking into a meeting at City Hall. I guess for me, I was wondering, like, what the hell time is it? Like, she is able to just walk around and happen to happen upon this meeting. Yeah, and this- it, it's a weekend evening at like 10 p.m. Like, what? What do you what? I'm not sure if it's a weekend. I don't they they never really identified the day. Like it's very clearly the opening of 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 a movie because that's where the other three go, but it's just really weird. Yeah, maybe if we were parents like I'm sure they have to have some of these meetings in the evenings cuz parents work jobs and and all this, but yeah, a little a little bit of more parameters around where we're discussing would have been helpful. So, we are introduced to David for the first time. Now, I have to say that in terms of evil people, Kevin, I think we both agree that landlords are right at the top of the list, right? Yeah, for sure. I I have to say that anybody who's talking about needing a charter school, and Kevin Ford knows why I'm saying this, anybody who talks about needing a charter school in the area, instead of supporting your local public school and making your public school better, uh, they they are just below landlords, in my view. I don't know. You may not have as strong a feeling as this as I do, Kevin, but I have to be honest in saying no charter schools support public schools. Yeah, I think that would have helped me if I had a deeper connection to that with David. I would have seen him as more evil. I still see him as pretty evil, but I don't have kids. Uh, I don't work in public education, but I will 100 percent take your word for it. Uh, So Michelle is able to make some connections with him and I mean, they're not, they're not overtly flirting yet, but you can clearly see that this is kind of a direction that they are, that they are going to go in. And David admits, talks about having kids and, and kind of wanting to develop this school. Uh, So that is kind of the Michelle portion. Everyone else ends up going to this movie premiere for Brett's, uh, for Brett's movie. Brett has another awkward confrontation with the director. And I- I'll say this, Kevin, I feel like if we were to just follow the director throughout the night, he would have committed at least three violations that would have gotten him me too out of existence. What do you think? I, I completely agree with you. So Alex and Tina are trying to uh, find this producer named Larry, this producer who could potentially help Alex actually get a leading role. Uh, Larry is played by the great Peter Gallagher. Peter Gallagher, uh, 
I don't know what he's best known for. I feel like I best know him as the uh, the father from the OC, which is kind of a really weird thing to remember him from. Do you have any distinct Peter Gallagher roles that come to mind? Only because he did like a Law and Order or something. I think was his probably a bigger role, and I would see like back in the day when I was watching Monday Night Raw on a regular basis, you'd catch like the last three or so minutes of that show before then. And I'd all, I feel like I always saw his face there. But yeah. Like he, like he also looks a lot. I mean, I know it's not him, but he also looks like um, uh, maybe was it the, the Casablanca's father on Veronica Mars who looked a lot like him. Yes. Okay. I would say Harry Hamlin and Peter Gallagher are definitely of a similar type. There you go. So yeah, that's that's where I knew him most from was was Law and Order. But he just has that 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 face, that distinguished face of his, and you could 100 percent see why a Tina would be into somebody like him. So with Tina and Alex, I, I'm very curious to know: Did you see where this was going with Larry? Because I feel like you know, there are a number of tropes that they could have fallen into, and they kind of do one when Alex and Larry are in the bathroom and Alex ends up giving Larry toilet paper. I feel like it's like, okay, I kind of know where this is going, but I really like where it ends up that it goes in a very different place. So I'm curious to know, like, did you see where this was going? Yes and no. Like, I knew they eventually were going to speak to each other, but I do like that eventually he, like, it's him who approaches him and being like, all right, dude, you're weirding me out by just eyeing me all night. Like, let's talk. You got, clearly have something you want to say to me. And then it goes from there. So I like that different tactic of how they approached it. Larry is also a very different producer than J.K. Simmons from Party Down as well. I want to point that out. Not as fun, though. No, but I feel like I could actually talk to Larry. I feel like J.K. Simmons would just swear at me and make me feel really uncomfortable. It would, it would make me very comfortable if J.K. Simmons yelled at you, to be honest. I mean, I feel like if J.K. Simmons yelled at me, I feel like you would really enjoy it. Oh, 100%. That's that's what I'm trying to say. Uh, fair enough. So eventually Alex and Tina do get to talk to Larry. I think it's kind of unclear at times whether how how interested Larry is in like Alex as a performer, but we are it's very clear by the end of the episode that Larry is interested in Tina and Alex is kind of disappointed by this because I mean, I would say that he has kind of this grade school crush on her at this point. That is probably how I would classify it. It gets a little darker in the next episode, but uh, there is a point when Tina asks Alex to come to Houston with her to get her belongings. Alex says yes, but then sees the two of them getting cozy, and that is kind of where uh, the episode ends with Brett picking Alex up and them having another, another conversation. And this is where they play the drums. This is the episode yes. where they do the air drums. He's, he's sad about what he's seen with her, but not sad enough to airdrum to Tom Sawyer, which I can uh, I can appreciate. Uh, is there significance to the quote, Tom Sawyer never needs to be embarrassed? Never needs to be embarrassed. Not that I can think of. I mean, the name of the song is Tom Sawyer. And many people could say Neil Peart from Rush to be one of the greatest drummers of all time. And somebody of Brett, like Brett, would be very into Rush, I think. I Rush is also one of those bands that has a reputation for really nerdy people being into them. So it seems fitting. I think he's just saying the name of the song, and I don't think there's any significance to that exact quote, no. All right, so Houston, there is a the episode four Houston. Uh, we can very easily divide this up. Kevin, what do you want to talk about first? Alex and Tina or Brett and Michelle first? Let's talk about Brett and Michelle first. Okay, so Brett decides that he is going to surprise Michelle. He's 
He's this guy that loves to plan everything out super carefully. But on this night, he is going to surprise Michelle with a night at a hotel. Uh, so initially, he takes sex off the table. Michelle calls Tina and basically it's very clear that Michelle Michelle's very horny. Let's just let's call a spade a spade. She's very horny. Brett, Brett is kind of on a different journey, uh, but they eventually decide, okay, we're going to have sex. They decide after watching Biodome, apparently, and we kind of see the sex process play out that was discussed in episode two. And I really like the distinctive part. Like, it's very clear that Michelle is annoyed by the pillow and the pillow (laughs) actually comes back into play here. And what happens is, is that the sex fails and they argue about it. Brett talks about, (laughs) Brett says the word rhythm a lot, which I I have to be honest, in this scene, I was very much on Brett's side. I was like, man, you, you really do have to get into a rhythm. With just all aspects of life, I love that Brett is satisfied with the idea of a C-plus sex life. And, Kevin, all I can say is C's get degrees. What else can you say? Oh, my goodness. Uh, There's a a lot more you could say, but I won't here. But it is – this is a really great scene to show that, like, such a big problem is this. Like, they're just not communicating. If Tina really hates the pillow so much, why has she not at some point said, like, hey, man – Maybe don't put a pillow under my head at this point. Why is that such a hard thing for her to say? Or even in the moment, just throw it away. Why is why is Brett's rhythm so easily disrupted? And why is he not mentioned this as part of his own process to it? Um, there's a lot, I think, there's a lot deeperness into here, but it goes to show that, like, they're not, ta- they're really not communicating with each other. Like, if, if, T- if Michelle has to go and call Tina in the bathroom, during this, like something's wrong. If they if they either aren't talking to each other or feel they can't or what have you, um, which kind of leads to their pr- proposed relationship at the end or uh, solution at the end here. But I do also like that they're in bed together and realize something needs to happen. That but they both also say like, hey, we don't we don't want to get divorced. I do appreciate that. Yeah, I really like the fact that they have this argument, but then there's like a, a cool down and they talk about counseling and and like Brett is open to it and it's not like. They're both hostile toward it. I really love that conversation. And I love the fact that they're in bed and saying they don't want to get divorced. I mean, to me, and we talked about this with Brockmeyer, and not just because of Amanda Pete, but the idea of the yips. And that's what it feels like Brett and Michelle have. Like, they have the the sexual equivalent of the yips. Yeah, that sounds right. I also think that is that is a very believable thing for a couple to... First, I don't want to say the magic, that's stupid, but some of the chemistry of that to be lost as you grow older, as you age uh, as well. And it just sort of exploring what does that mean uh, as as a couple or your or your dynamic? So so they, they are not in Houston, but Alex and Tina are. Things are pretty frosty between them. Boy, that airport interaction and that air and that flight with Alex and Tina, boy, that had to be super awkward when you're just sitting next to your friend and your friend doesn't want to talk to you. That's a, that's super awkward on a plane because I remember there was uh, this thing on social media, like don't ever have an argument or break up with someone on a plane because you were literally forced to be with that person for however many hours. Yeah, that sucks. Uh, it's, it certainly does. And uh, we see, you can see how Tina is the natural spawn of her parents, just the way that her parents are. Uh, Tina's dad and Alex talk about hair um, and that Alex is a really good support system for Tina, which I, I really appreciated. 
and uh, they go to a bar. We see uh, we see Tina in a cowboy hat. We see Alex uh, interacting with her friends, and this is something that I really, really liked, Kevin. And I, I think this is important to note as a character thing. I love the way that Alex is able to hang out with Tina and her friends in a very normal, comfortable manner, because I feel like in episode one, he's taking his shirt off. In episode three, he's super awkward around Larry. But I love the fact that in this, because he's around kind of normies, he just comes off as being very funny, charismatic, and charming. And the people who could have an effect on his life, he's a little bit more awkward with. But I really appreciated the fact that they gave Alex some depth beyond just being a fat guy who was struggling as an actor. 100%. And I think it was nice to show that he is good with her friends, that he has charisma, that he was, I mean, he was going to, he was going to land one of them by the end of the night with how he was doing it. But he was, and he was fun. He wasn't a sad sack. It was great. This was such a great Alex episode here. And did you, I forget, did you ever watch Parks and Recreation? Yes. Do you remember one of the earlier seasons? There's an episode where Leslie is likes this guy named Justin who Rashida Jones's character is friends with, and she she's trying to help Leslie find a new partner, and it's clear they're good for each other, but she doesn't want to help her because it's like she kind of likes him, and it's like, oh, that's that guy you kind of save is like your back I do, burner guy. I do vaguely, I do vaguely remember this. That's how I kind of feel about how Tina was with Alex as the cock block at the end, where it's like, okay, you, she's with this director. And you, but she still gets jealous. It's like, okay, well, she's moved on. She's with somebody else, but she still can't stand to see Alex having fun and, and with, with another girl. That's the, that's a hundred percent the vibe I got from her. And it sucked. Like that's, that's not cool, obviously. And I'm glad Alex calls her out for it at the end, even if she denies that that's what she did until later. But it was, a, but it was a good moment to show that it's not like, Alex isn't this crazy person who's going after this girl who doesn't have feelings for him, too. Uh, I will say this is probably the biggest crime on the show is her cock blocking him, right? It's pretty bad. Like, that is that is not an okay thing to have done. But at, I the one thing that I think really makes it work is that she's drunk. So it's like there's no way for her to get home if he doesn't help her out. Like, yeah, could you shove her in a cab or something and do that? Of course. But they're kind of in a city they don't know, so she may not even be able to tell them where to go correctly. How do you get the car the next day? There's a lot of other things that kind of make it where, yes, she's cockblocking him for sure. Um, but there's at least enough like logistical reasons where you'd have to go with her anyways that it's like, OK, we can. It's not excused, no doubt. But it is, but it do, does kind of put that wrench of like, why can't he just drop her off and go back to the other person later or this or that? Yeah. So they kind of there's all these like sort of hurdles in the way of it anyhow. But yeah, it's it's pretty awful. It's definitely the 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 worst thing Tina does on the show. And I will say I, I give Amanda Pete a ton of credit. I think I think drunk acting is really, really difficult to do because I feel like it's so easy to play it up. I think Amanda Pete is a very good drunk actor in this episode. And I feel like in episode five, we get more great drunk acting from Mark Duplass to an extent with Melanie Linsky, but major props to the performers for doing a really good job of being drunk actors. Yeah, I feel most people just kind of like slur their speech and sort of overdo it. But this this feels very. Yeah, Amanda Pete is loud and obnoxious, but she's not like overtly like drunk, like she's just Tina with the volume turned up. And I think that's that's kind of how you are. Or how some people are when they're drunk. And uh, I really like this. And uh, Alex and Tina, they have a confrontation in the car. I love that Alex goes on the red light. That was pretty funny. 
Uh, there are apologies all around. Tina offers Alex a hand job in a joking manner, but does eventually thank him sincerely. And again, kind of paralleling Brett and Michelle because they're also kind of having their 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 post argument uh, makeup session. I got to be honest. I think Tina genuinely owed him that hand job. I am not going to say that because again, I'm a believer in consent, so I'm not sure if she owed him that, but. Ode is maybe the wrong word, but I feel like if she offered and he was into it, maybe if maybe she would have really been into it. And like you can get in that weird area of like, oh, this doesn't count because of X, Y and Z and whatever else. Uh, I thought it would have been a fun if they followed through with it, but maybe that would have been a little too much. Brockmeyer would have gone for it. A mil- oh, if this was Brockmeyer, it would have happened for sure. <laughs> All right, let's talk about episode five, Kick the Can. Uh, We have Michelle and Brett coming out of their first therapy session, clearly uncomfortable with what just happened. And we kind of go on separate journeys. Michelle just wants to move on with her day, wants to do something super fun with Brett, with everybody else, with other adults, having no kids around. So that's kind of what Michelle wants to do. And she wants to just have a very satisfying day, just kind of being outside. And uh, we also see a little bit of competitiveness from her as well. Brett, on the other hand, literally just wants to go be alone, go to a Barnes and Noble to read a book in a leather chair. Clearly just wants to be by himself. Kevin, are you a Michelle or are you a Brett? I'm a Brett a hundred percent. And this is where I get into like, this to me, the, the kickball game in this is like an unrealistic part of this show. As a as a late 30 something, or even I guess I'm an early more early 30 something than them, there is no situation where I would able be able to text a bunch of friends, let's go play kickball, and within an hour everyone can just drop whatever they're doing and go do it. No way. No way that would ever happen. And your dog and, no agree- way- and your your dog agrees with you. Yeah, she's pretty pissed about it. But yeah, just like kids in life and just not wanting to do it or general laziness or whatever. There's just no way that would that would have ever happened. So to me, this is a little bit of like a a little bit more of like a twee Duplass kind of movie trope that was kind of thrown in there. Like it made the episode move and it got where he needed to. But this would never happen in real life. I don't think. I agree with you. I, I could definitely understand where you're coming from. I I don't disagree with anything you're saying. I guess I don't think it bothered me as much because I think we got a a lot of really interesting stuff besides that. And we, uh, I love the fact that Brett asks Alex to bring cones, ball and beer. So you mentioned the kickball bothered you. For me, it's the beer. It's like the bag that has beer is just never ending. And I never feel like we get an accurate idea of how much beer there is. And I feel like there's no way the amount of beer they've consumed to get as drunk as they do could actually be in that bag. That's what bothered me, Kevin. That's what bothered you. Well, you know, he is a good friend, but you're right. That bag was too small to carry that amount of of cans of beer. I'm curious if they have, like, PBR is 100% a hipster choice for this, but I wondered if they got a sponsorship or something for this episode. Yeah, I would be very curious. Uh, It's also worth noting Alex and Brett say they love each other. In a platonic way, I don't know if you noticed that, but I definitely made a note of that because, again, you almost never hear male friends talk like that to each other. I did miss that, but yeah, it, it, it's so ca- again that it's so casual and it's so real between them that, like, yeah, you you don't even give it a second thought when you hear it. Uh, I, so I know you're gonna, you, I know you're gonna want to talk about this part before the kickball game even starts. Tina knocking on the window as Brett is listening to Walking in Memphis, and uh, Tina gives Brett a pep talk. 
And uh, I, I'm going to let you, you send a GIF after you watch this, presumably. So I will let you kind of set this moment up and describe your feelings on it. I feel like it's very representative of what we as a lot of adults go through. Is like she's faking being happy and enthusiastic for a friend because her friend needs to be here further. And, and she's she's telling Brett that like this being mopey in his car bit isn't helping his wife. It's like he needs to suck it up and give her what he needs today. And she's like, look at me. I'm smiling, but I'm dead inside. And I'm like, how many it's like I feel like if you go to like a work party or something and everyone's smiling and interacting like if you could have that moment of how everyone really feels inside, it would be very true to life about how how people a, a lot of times just go about their day where um, and I think it's it's like showing up is maybe the hardest thing to do in life. And I feel like just showing up and being there for Michelle is exactly what Brett needs to do for her right now and him being in the car and you know, perhaps jeopardizing her happiness if she's worrying about him or seeing that he's unhappy or whatever is not what needs to happen right now. Despite how he feels, he needs to suck it up and be the husband right now. Uh, and Tina tries to help him realize this. But yes, I, I will be using that I'm dead inside gif uh, going forward, I'm pretty sure. Uh, and we get Brett aggressively drinking a beer. I, I'm sure you appreciated that as well. He didn't say that. I mean, he didn't, but he, he could have, and it would have been plausible because he was drinking a lot of beer. There's also a scene where the hipsters and the, uh, I, I'm going to call them the old, even though they're not old, uh, they're shotgunning a beer. By the, Kevin, it's very clear to me that Amanda Pete knows how to shotgun a beer. What the hell is this, like, $30 world word that you put in the notes? Recalcitrant? Yes, the hipsters are being recalcitrant. That isn't a word anybody knows. That is a word, I know it. Yeah, well, you friggin' teach English, so... Get this out of here. This this is a Duplass level word you're trying to use. (laughs) Kevin, sometimes in the notes, I I have to keep you on your toes. And by inserting a word like that, that is what I'm doing. We're talking about about shotgunning beers and running through (laughs) and kicking cans and running through sprinklers. And you're like, recalcitrant. (laughs) I mean, we're also talking about hand jobs and sex. (laughs) Uh, So things get real. As, uh, as Brett and Michelle, I have a very honest conversation. Brett it, it openly admits to kind of faking his way uh, through the day. I really think this is some very good drunk acting on his part. He eventually just forfeits the game and leaves, which, again, I, I very much connected with Brett. I would totally do this as well because I'm like, I'm out. Peace out. I don't know whose side I'm on. I mean, I kind of see where Michelle's coming from. I kind of see where Brett is also coming from as well. I very much feel like I would never want to do something like this. I would never want to play kick the can with a bunch of 20 year olds because they're 20 year olds, especially in Los Angeles of all places. Like it's bad enough in Chicago, but let alone in the, in a part of Los Angeles, forget it. And uh, we also have, uh, why don't you talk a little bit about that? Any, any thoughts on Michelle and Brett's, arguments it's it was just really bad timing for brett like i you it it doesn't work to fake it till you make it through a moment if you're telling the person you're faking it till you make it and like what is what is to be achieved here is 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 michelle suddenly supposed to be more appreciative of him for doing this why is this the right moment It, it almost feels like he's almost trying to take her joy away but he doesn't realize that he's that that's what he's doing it's a it's a really weird situation but it was it was really bad timing for brett if brett like look i agree with you this is not something i would want to do but if it's something that michelle wants to do and wants him to be there there's way worse things she could ask from a partner on this day in this moment especially if it's something that she really needs um 
but if he really like truly deeply did not want to do it, I think there's better ways he could have excused himself or just not participated to begin with gone back home and taken care of the kids or something, or been like, you know, Hey, I'll, I'll be here for you or support you from afar or whatever. I think there's just way better ways that could have gone around with it. If, if communicating was done better between them, but uh, that's not a strength they have right now. So yeah, there's uh there's more drinking of beer and Alex and Tina end up in a closet and they kiss. It's, it's definitely not okay because Tina slaps him and heads off. So clearly there's some sort of consent issues going on, but it also felt like it was kind of mutual for a second there. I have very conflicting feelings on on this kiss because it kind of feels like maybe they both wanted to do it. Definitely not the right sport, not the right place for it. And uh, this is why you should never mix PBR and uh, and a kickball game because I guess things like this happen. Yes, but it was also it was very very funny. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I want to be clear. Like this is super hilarious because. Uh, Steve Zesis and Amanda Pete have really, really good chemistry together. Just they absolutely nailed this. And for all of the flaws of the show, the the interactions between Brett and Michelle and Tina and Alex just are on. They are on point the entire time. Yes. Wait, are we talking about the closet scene yet? I mean, we're still on the closet scene. Okay. I am conflicted about how I feel about the actual kiss. A lot of it leading up to it, I feel very good about, and I thought was very funny. You say it's mutual in the notes. I'm not so sure. Obviously, like, it was instigated by one person, and she didn't push him away right away. Does that make it okay? Does that, uh, you know, it's, it's up in the air. It's to be interpreted, I suppose. I think in 2022 wise, I'm a little more about it, like going back and watching like Jim and Pam's first kiss on the office. I kind of get the same vibes from it achieves what it needs to do it. And they the way they kind of. Excuse it off in the next episode, the two characters do it makes it OK, but it definitely made me feel a bit uncomfortable when the kiss itself. I can, I can understand that. I think you. I think that's a reasonable point. And, you know, usually it's me. That's kind of making this case. So it's I'm glad that you're actually the one that's that's doing it this time. But yeah, I could definitely I can definitely understand that. I think that's a reasonable point, especially because, you know, Mark Duplass and Jay Duplass are the directors. So you have two male directors. Steve Z says is a, gets a writing credit on a number of these. So, you know, there is that issue of power and, and consent. There, so there's the issue of the, there's the issue that there's also an issue that she's in a relationship right now, you know, is is flirting an open an open invitation they're drunk which also adds in a whole different dynamic there's a, there's a lot to unpack here but we're, we're not experts this is not the show to go that deep into it it ended up okay but the moment definitely made me feel a little uncomfortable so of course kevin and i'm sure you love this michelle just happens to see david playing kickball and solicits his help so they can win the game of kick the can david turns the sprinklers on I would say because Michelle is drunk, things are much more flirty with David this time, especially after everything that went down with Brett. Uh, Michelle wins for her team. Brett does see Michelle looking at David, and uh, very clear that Brett kind of knows what's going on, and uh, it sets up Michelle and David in a much more overt way at the end. What are the odds, Jerome, that she'd be playing kickball just at the same time that David would be playing basketball? Yeah, kind of a kind of a hacky setup, I would say. Like, <laughs> it's weird. I think when you actually break this episode down into pieces, 
I feel like you're able to see the seams. Whereas I think if you're just watching the episode and you're not overthinking it, I feel like you're just, I think that, I think the individual moments are so good that you kind of get lost in them. But when you're actually breaking it down, I feel like you see the flaws. Totally. Which I think is a strength of the show that like, if you would on paper, you're like, this is really stupid and, and hokey. But then when you actually watch it, you're like, all right, that actually plays out pretty well. Yeah. I mean, I think you have to set, you have to set Michelle and David up in some way. You have to have something that happens that, that kind of makes David look like a decent guy in order for me, for it to be plausible because um, yes, Michelle is horny. Clearly, clearly is looking for something clearly is looking for something, but I don't think she would, she's not just going to hook up with some rando. I don't think. No. And I, and I do think you needed something outside of just like, they get along really well at a PTA meeting or whatever it is uh, to, to do that. But yeah, it, it's like, he's, he's the spontaneous fun one in a moment where, where her husband's kind of a downer. I get it. All right. So let's get into episode six, Ghost in Chains. We see Brett walking through the park, finding uh, Linda, who's played by Mary Steenburgen. Uh, she kind of stalks him as he is going through the woods. I don't know, man, this Brett stuff in episode seven, episode six, it's okay. But in episode seven, boy, I, I was not feeling this Brett storyline at all. It's probably my least favorite aspect of the show, both because of the drugs and because of kind of just everything that happens. Like, it's weird. I like where Brett ends up in the season, but the journey that he gets there is kind of annoying. It's pretty stupid. This is, again, like a Twee Duplass movie thing where it's the you go in the forest and find this strange lady who takes you on this weird journey and you take a mushroom tea and you end up more clear headed than before. It's a little too like indie movie for me to get into. And well, I that, love that's Mary that's more episode. That's more episode seven. Episode True. six is kind of the is more the setup. Right. But I mean, like, I love Mary Steenburgen and she does great in the role. But it is it is just like this is very Duplass movie. Find yourself stuff. And it and it's played out. I don't know. It, it it like like I completely agree with you. I like where he ends up. I like the way he presents himself in episode seven at the party, especially talking to David. But yeah, it's it it's a lot. It's a little just like it, it made me roll my eyes a little bit. Yeah, I would say the Brett stuff is and it's weird because like there are elements of episode six specifically that I actually really like and really appreciate, like the fact that he is interacting with the director. Brett is always hungry, man. Like he just wants food. Just let the man eat. <laughs> I know, right? Just if you give a man a sandwich, it goes a long way. Uh, so we get more bullshit with the director. He, it's never made clear. We only find out in episode eight, he identifies himself as being unemployed. But I, I guess in this situation, he just kind of quits. Uh, I also love that the director is eating in front of everyone. Brett complains, walks away from the situation, and is like very clearly frustrated. So I think the under the underrated thing that we we don't see is like, what is Brett communicating to Michelle about his job situation? Because it's very clear that that is having an impact on him. Like to me, it comes across like Michelle's horny. She wants to have sex, which is great. Like uh, that's not me judging her. Like I totally get that. Totally understand that. But with Brett, it just feels like there's so much else at play besides like the sex is just, a part of this and I don't even know that he's directly frustrated with it but it just feels like everything else is just kind of beating him down yeah it's like everything in his life right now is a little bit in shambles the one thing that I do really appreciate about this that now that I'm thinking about it because I'm saying everything in his life is in shambles is that 
they're still great parents. Like there's never anything where they're like yelling at the kids or doing anything awful to them. And I love the payoff in the finale with, with, uh, Brett and the kids too. Um, but I like that that's never like this really, cause I feel like that's also real of real life is like the parents, they do what they do behind closed doors or whatever. And then the, and then the kids that kind of put together this united front and that's that. So I'm glad that never comes into play with it. And at least like at the end of the day, they're both still good, a good mom and a good dad. Uh, but you're right is, is, is again, it goes back to communication. How much does she really know about his job? What he finds meaningful about it, the, the, the issues he's having there. Um, but also it does seem like throughout the show is like a lot of Brett talking to Michelle is just complaining. And it, and I think that's intentional to show like there's very little fun that Brett is able to have or make himself have, which they even kind of mentioned more overtly. But I think maybe he's, he's always just a sad sack. So would him even complaining about this job be anything or does he just in Michelle's mind, is he just down and sour about everything? I think that's a really good point. So Brett goes back into the woods to find Linda uh, Brett decides that he's going to start saying no. And I really like the rant about him. Now, this is probably very Duplass brothers, not wanting to be a zombie and being bossed around, which I feel like he's probably had that rant. He's either said that rant to his brother or to the people in his life many times as himself, not just as Brett. <laughs> Anything to say about that? Or are we going to move on? Uh, Chris, can you repeat that again? Uh, Brett's rant at the end. Do you have anything to say or should we move on? No, not, I mean, not really. I mean, I, I, it, it does kind of just explicitly say what he's trying to use is he doesn't want to be bossed around or be a zombie. Again, we sort of saw that in the bedroom where he's asking a lot of questions and then he explodes at his job. Um, it's sort of, again, a necessary means to the end to get where we are at the end of the season. So it is what it is. We can argue at the end of the day about the method they took to get there, but fine i mean it's it's the way they decided to do it so what can you really say uh so michelle is on her own journey she goes to an abandoned building which is apparently going to be the site of a charter school given the state of this building kevin there is no way a charter school is going to be there anytime soon uh but she and david end up uh trying to get into a lock closet which is kind of funny given what happened in the last episode uh there is some tension nothing happens yet but they both agree that they are going to go to Sacramento to try to try to persuade the legislature to give them this charter school. Sacramento, of course, is the capital of California, and that is where a lot of legislative business happens. So I feel like I don't think the episode did a really good job of emphasizing that. So that's why I'm doing it here. So basically, yes. they are they are in Southern California. They're in a part of Los Angeles, and they're going to have to make kind of a six. It's six hours to Sacramento. That's where they're going to have to go. And yeah, California is huge. Yeah, it's it's deceptively big. And I feel like people don't really even understand how big Los Angeles is. Right. Like Los Angeles is like I would say Chicago is a series of neighborhoods. Los Angeles is a series of suburbs. And when people think of like Hollywood or Beverly Hills, like, yes, those are parts of Los Angeles. But so are like the many valleys that are there, your Rositas as well. Like there are definitely a lot of places in Los Angeles that are just like these little pockets. And it feels like Michelle and David and all of these people, like they are in this very specific part of the city and they're kind of in their, in their own world to an extent. Right. So that's why like, it's, it's a lengthy, it's not just like a, a day trip and back to those parts of California, but you're right. I don't think they really set it up well. Cause I was like, wait, how did they even get this meeting? How, what, like where, 
what are we? Like, who are these people in the car with them? So things come to a head with Tina and Alex in this episode. Uh, we get t- Tina taking a business call. I really wish we had a better idea of how our business was doing because, I mean, we kind of get it in the next episode, but she runs like a bouncy house business. And I don't know. It just, I don't know how she's making money living in Los Angeles and, and trying to do this. And yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with her. Well, when you don't pay rent, it's probably pretty easy. At least she's not a landlord. Can we agree on that? Oh, of course. Uh, we get Alex working out in the park. I, I love his physical comedy. It's very different from Ken Marino and Party Down, but uh, I really love it. Tina does offer Alex to be a clown, which kind of kind of a kind of a metaphor. Uh, Michelle directly <laughs> yes. calls Michelle directly calls Tina out for being a cock tease. And yeah. I think that's pretty funny. That that's something that I feel like only a sister or close friend could do. Right. But, you know, even the thing with Alex is like, is it physical comedy? Yes. But it also shows like he is taking his fitness and his health very seriously now. For sure. Yeah. I, I, I really love that Alex is kind of determined to better himself. I also love that while Michelle is calling Tina out for being a cock tease, that's when she gets an initial message from David. So very good timing and direction on that. Because doesn't Tina call her out for that, too, with David? Yep. Yeah, yeah, I so. think that's I think that's really good. I think that the fact that they're calling they're able to call each other out. I think that's actually the mark of a healthy relationship that they can just call each other out like that and still be still be sibling friends. It's it's the mark of a good relationship and also a mark of just like people aren't aren't stupid. Like they can that we're reading into the same stuff that they're reading into in real life. Like this isn't something that you would be like surprised by if this were real life. Like everyone can see what's going on. I appreciate that. You know, and I'm glad you brought that up because I think I think the show certainly has its flaws. I think that there are certainly some story issues, but the thing that I don't think the show ever does, it doesn't treat his characters as stupid, and I think that atones for a lot of some of the flaws. Is that Tina, Alex, Michelle, and Brett are flawed, but they're never dumb, and I think that helps significantly. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. I think that's it's a it's I think and it's because it's a Duplass brother show. It's much more emotionally healthy in those aspects of those interrelationships. It's like but it also goes to show like why are these people able to talk to their their siblings and friends so much more freely than they are their partners? And yes, I know the dynamics are different, of course, but it goes to show again, I think it's like, oh, you're able to be this open and honest with each with your your friends, but not each other like some something's going on here. Well, yeah, and that, I think it really pays off with what Alex says to Brett at the end of episode eight, eight which we'll get to. But I, I definitely think that there is a payoff to that. Uh, there's also a payoff to Alex going in for a leading role as he all of a sudden is getting the potential to possibly star in a movie that is being produced by Larry. Alex realizes what the role is, looks around, sees who is auditioning, and he is determined to not be the fat best friend, which is basically what he's auditioning for. I'm not I'm not using fat as the pejorative. He literally says it himself. He argues right. with Tina uh, outside about, like, this opportunity and what it means. And Alex is like, you know what? I'm going to read for Vlad. I'm going to read for the third leading role in this movie. And I really love that Alex is the one that is taking control of this situation. Tina's kind of falling apart in many ways. Like, yes, she has this great relationship, but... Who knows how well her business is doing, and she is kind of taking advantage of Alex at times, 
and Alex in the end t- says to Tina that he doesn't want a part of her charade anymore and that he's just like Brett again the, the idea of mirroring like Alex is taking control and is reading for Vlad maybe he had a better audition because of that self-determination and I'm not sure how realistic it is that he would be in a movie produced by Larry in the, to get a third leading role in a major movie like this, but it's certainly a good means to an end to kind of forward Alex's character and get him from kind of being a sad sack. 1000%. Like I, I agree that it, it's definitely more realistic than I think the dodgeball thing or like the, the, the ayahuasca mushroom trip that Brett goes on. But still, like you said, I like this self, like, Again, I think he makes a good point. It's like Tina leads him to to be a lead actor and get in shape, and then she has him read for the fat, funny friend on a on a script. I can I completely understand why he's pissed. I completely understand why he doesn't want to read for it. I completely understand why he goes in and says, "Burn it all down." I'm going to read for this Vlad role that I want to do anyways. You know, is it realistic that he gets it in the next episode? Maybe, maybe not. But I but again, I like I like where his headspace is in this whole episode. I'm, I'm cheering for. For him the whole time. I'm cheering. I'm sorry. I'm cheering for Alex the whole time this episode is going on. So I, I have to say the the first half of episode seven is super, super rough. So I don't, I don't particularly have a lot to say about it. Basically, Brett gets Brett goes to Linda's house, uh, drinks tea that is laced with drugs. We see him. I it's it is what it is. It's, it's a giant cliche. I think the more interesting Brett stuff actually comes when he gets home and there's this party for Sophie and for or this party uh, to raise money for the charter school. And I really love that the conversations that Brett has with David, like, again, we talk about these characters are not stupid. Brett t- kind of talking to David and basically saying that they're not that he's not stupid. This does raise a question for me, though. I want to know where the therapy went because we get Brett and Michelle kind of having their conversation in the kitchen and they talk about, or Brett talks about how they're better off when they're separated. And I'm like, where, where did the therapy go? I mean, it's never followed up upon. And I feel like that's important information, especially as they're having this conversation. I also love that Michelle seemingly wants to argue, but De- Brett, you never see this in TV shows where one character is really wanting to argue and the other person just, no matter what, they just do not, they They'll have none of it. And Brett literally extricates himself from the situation, goes to read Dune in his bedroom, which is pretty hilarious, if you ask me. And I, I, it's, this is a really weird episode for Brett because I really didn't like the first part of it, but then I really liked the second part of it. So I guess I kind of ended up being in the middle. Yeah, I'd say that's fair. And I really like that he tells David straight up that, you know, like, like this, him being on mushrooms or whatever gives him this confidence. Like, I want to show up my ropes. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to talk to David and let him know what's on my mind that I am threatened by him. And that's is what it is. And I'm curious if that conversation is what gives David the boldness to say what he says in episode eight. Um, Cause now he has a clear picture of where the relationship with Brett Michelle is. And that maybe there is some foundation to his feelings of, of being threatened. Um, and the fact that the episode end, you know, it has him telling Michelle that he thinks they need some space, maybe gives her some free, you know, it makes her feel a certain way to, I think, makes her more vulnerable for David in episode eight. So I think all of that stuff with Brett in this episode, like, like you said, total cliche sucks the way that we got there. But it's great in him getting in the headspace he is to set up our characters for what's going to happen in episode eight. Uh, I also think we learn a lot about David just in the moment when he is criticizing the level of donations 
that he is receiving from people for this school. Like, nobody has to give you money. Like, criticizing the donations just makes you a dick, right? Huge dick. Big time. Uh, so we get uh, we get some stuff with Alex and Tina. They are ignoring each other. I love that they are ignoring each other and just the look on Michelle's face. Like, just how annoyed she is because Brett is leaving her and Alex and Tina are just not talking to each other. I also love that the kids are sort of in the background and sort of there because Alex and Tina are acting like kids and the kids are in some ways behaving better. Yeah, they're acting like high schoolers in this at this point. And yes, the kids, this is how often it is like the kids are much more well behaved than the adults. That is that is sometimes true to life as well. Uh, so we get we get some Tina's not having a good day. The bounce house is not working. There's mud. There's spiders. Larry offers to help. But she is trying to also be an independent woman. So she doesn't want to she doesn't want to uh, get involved with that. I I just I love the physical comedy of her trying to throw the bounce house away in a freaking garbage can. And not only is she unsuccessful, but she's also trying to throw this in the wrong cans. Just chef's kiss, no notes. That is a perfect moment of TV. So good. And I and I really appreciate that Alex stances grounded does not help her. He he like just it, it it hurts him a little bit at the end when you see it, but he really just lets her sort of flounder. And I and I like that decision. There are some, there's like three really good Alex moments. There is the there is that one that you mentioned, but there's also earlier in the episode uh, when he notices Michelle and David and like doesn't really say anything, but clearly is like putting that in the back of his mind. He also goes and rescues Brett. Like Brett is calling him. He vomits. Um, again, the drug stuff is annoying, but the vomit is is kind of funny. And I love the fact that he literally goes to save his friend. Knowing what he has seen with Michelle and David, he also tells Brett to, like, just take a nap in the car and kind of sleep this off. And Alex is just a really good friend to Brett in this episode. And I love the fact that he doesn't tell Brett what's going on because I I don't think it's – I don't necessarily know that it's his place to say anything. So I really appreciate that he doesn't, but it's still like, dude, you got to chill out. Yeah, 100 percent. I think he handles it really, really well. And he knows what to say. And and like you said, what what he could have told him about what's really going on would have made the situation much worse. And he has that clarity and understanding to know I'm I'm not even going to go there. Uh, So Tina decides that in the end, she's going to move in with Larry. It'll be safe and comfortable. Uh, But they're also clearly not in love with him. Uh, All I have to say is, like, I really wish we had a better idea of the time of all this, because like just in terms of episode to episode, it feels really soon for her to be moving in with Larry. And maybe that's it, by design. Right. It is because she really, I mean, what's she doing? She's living on her, her sister's couch. And it is, like you said, it's, it's safe and comfortable. It's where, it's where our married couple has fallen into. That isn't working for them. Does she love him? No, but he makes money. It's, it's the safe choice. It's going to give her a roof over her head she can carry on with her shitty business and just that's that's life where as going with Alex is a little bit more risky. They're both kind of on not doing the best right now. It's sort of not the type of guy she usually goes for there. And she but she has some regrets about not doing it. And that's all very apparent. But like you said, it's 
the the fact that she's basically putting herself in the same position that our couple is in right now that isn't really working out, I think is is very poetic. Uh, so episode eight, I re- you know, it's funny. I was like, every episode, the Brett stuff was kind of annoying sometimes. The Michelle stuff was kind of annoying sometimes. The Tina stuff was never really annoying. Boy, episode eight, the stuff that they, the, what Alex has to do in this episode, I didn't really like at all. And it just felt like every romantic comedy cliche just kind of stuffed into one where he's like, he's going, he like, he's riding a bike, like he's literally doing everything to be able to find Tina to say how he feels. He has just got this role. So he's going to New Orleans for a month. So he's going to be kind of separated uh, from her. So it's just, it's this really kind of cliche trope thing that again, we've seen in so many mainstream comedies. He finds Tina, I would say really inappropriately just confronts her face to face in this hotel I would say both of them are wrong in their own ways. Alex very clearly, like, I get that he's leaving, but he's also very much in the wrong uh, for doing this. But so I it just were they the, the situation they put Alex in this episode. I feel like they're tr- they clearly felt felt like they had to do something with Alex and Tina. But I just don't know that this was the right route to go. Yeah. I mean, again, it's, it's a little bit of a cliche what what they did. Um here and like i <laughs> i'm trying to think i feel like there's a show either watched or a movie where like alex asks what's his name to leave the room and he just does oh it was it was party down where he's like oh can you just give us a moment he uh when uh ron uh talks to uh june diane raphael's character and her fiance is like no i'm not gonna give you the the space doctor what are you talking about uh, like the fact that he just leaves and let Alex talk to Tina, I think is, uh, is a bit much. It, it d- doesn't, doesn't make much sense to me on top of it. Just being kind of a typical, like, oh, I'm going to go to her and tell her how I feel kind of moment. Maybe, in, maybe in this situation, just send a text message or a phone call, like leave a long voicemail, like maybe do that instead. I'm very excited to, sorry, I'm reading ahead of the notes. I'm very excited for you to talk about Michelle at this meeting with the charter school. Oh my God. Why, why is that Kevin? <laughs> Uh, there's something you write in all caps here about uh, Michelle and her standing. Can you tell that there are moments in the show when I get irrationally angry? I can, because I i mean, I didn't really think much of it. I was like, okay, they got to put a situation for Michelle and David to be together. But the what it is for really sticks in your craw. So here's the thing. I, I just, I, I'm going to give some people the idea or how the sausage is made, so to speak. When Kevin makes notes, they are very, very professional. They are very well written. They're super straightforward. They're really good notes. When I make notes, like, yes, I describe what happens, but I will sometimes randomly put things in all caps when I'm angry about something. And that does happen a couple times in the, in these notes. Um, because I also, the other thing that I like to do is I also like to put uh, some of my thoughts so that if I want to say something, I won't forget it. And in this specific moment, so I'm going to say, I have to say, I'm going to get, I'm going to get really mad, Kevin. Um, <laughs> You're going to get hot. I feel like, I feel like it's just Shane Matthews putting the gum in his mouth. He's ready, <laughs> just want to so David not only wants to start a charter school, but he's going to go to Sacramento and try to persuade these legislators to do it. Um, he gets asked about uh, running a charter school and also running for city council, which is really inappropriate to be a politician and also wanting to run for a school. Because I don't know if you realize this, but when you get a charter school, you get a shit ton of money, a shit ton of money that is really easy fucking laundered. 
Oh, this made me so angry. So David is a piece of shit. He's going to run for city council. Also wants to, to have this school, which let me tell you, if you are running for city council and you are advocating for a charter school, you are garbage because you are taking money away from a public school that probably deserves it a lot more. So it's he is asked about who is going to run the school. And Michelle, who we have never seen talk about a professional life ever at all, announces that uh, she's kind of the number one guy, so to speak. She talks about her background in social work. Uh, she talks about how she's been a parent, though, for the last few years. Kevin, do you know what none of that what is what does none of that mean? Uh, it means you don't know anything about running a school. She's not qualified to run a school. She's not qualified to run a school, Kevin. Just because she got a degree in social work, you are not qualified to run a school. This made me irrationally angry, which maybe that's what they're supposed to do. Maybe they want me to hate Michelle and David by the end of this episode. If they if that's if that was their goal, then mission accomplished. So it makes me mad at everybody because this also means the city council is inept about because they give them the money. And then David, who is about to start a charter school and run for office, is willing to have an extramarital affair to possibly be discovered by these people and jeopardize his position. So he's just an idiot all around. Is, is so it is worth noting that David is divorced. So he would not be having the, the affair, but he would be engaging in an extramarital affair with a married that, man. Exactly. Correct. Uh, so, yeah, so everyone's an idiot in this situation. Uh, take Take the affair out of it. Just at this house, or I'm sorry, at the city council meeting, everyone's an idiot all around. Uh, so we get Michelle and David kind of flirting in the hotel. And even I was at a certain point, it's like, guys, you just want to fuck. Just, just go fuck. Just get it over with, get it out of your systems. And they write these love notes to each other. And I just, oh, I hated it so much, Kevin. It's I mean, not it was even, well executed. It, it was well executed. I want to be clear. The performances are great. Like it's really well executed, but it made me hate these two characters. Yeah. It's not even really love notes. It's just like this awkward, like, are you still awake? Yes, I am. Um, too excited to sleep. You are amazing today. I was like, this is, this is terrible. This is like sub high school level stuff from two adults. After uh, Michelle is clearly judging Alex and Tina for behaving like high schoolers here. She yes. Is. Yes. Uh, but I think that's, that's also some good writing too, where like you can recognize the high school behavior in other people, but not in yourself, which I think is uh, hi hypocrisy is, I think paramount in a lot of people. Meanwhile, Brett is unemployed. His daughter does not want to go to school. And I'll say this. I, I certainly understand where she's coming from. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's be real. So like sometimes after defending school. public schools this whole time, <laughs> this one girl doesn't want to go to her public school. And you're like, I get it. I mean, I get like, sometimes you just need a day, man. Like sometimes I get it. I really, really get it. Yeah. I, some parents are cooler than others. I don't think my parents would have ever been on the phone. It's like, I don't feel like going to school day. They think it's like too bad. Um, I mean, if Sophie, if this was a pattern of behavior, which we, we, we get almost nothing with the kids. I feel like Sophie is the type of person who is generally good about going to school. And that's why Brett takes her to the beach. Otherwise I feel like he wouldn't do it. That's how it came across to me. Well, and I love that. Like they get like he, like he looks like he might snap because the younger kid is crying. She, you know, Sophie's being, um, a bit of a brat about putting her shoes on. She's also being recalcitrant, Kevin. God damn it. And, and he like, he could blow his top in front of everybody, but he just kind of, he calms himself down. He closes the door and then he just asks, what do you want to do? 
And it feels like he's finally getting stuff right with like what he should be doing in his relationship. He's finally doing with his kids. And oh my goodness, it works amazingly. And he feels great. And I, and I like talk about Brett in episode seven, not being his stuff sucking his stuff rules in episode eight. Yeah, and he and he just has a really great day with his kids at the beach. I really love that we get to see him being a good parent because I think it's something that we desperately needed in order to sympathize with Brett more. Uh, so then Brett drives and, Alex. Well, oh, go ahead. And it's great too because we talk about the kickball thing. It's something that he doesn't want to do, and he can't be there emotionally for his wife. The beach we established is something that he doesn't really love to do. It's something his daughter, daughter wants to do, and he and he says, "Okay, then let's do it." And he acts impulsively and he does it and he has a great day. And even I love that conversation with Alex where he's like, you're not a beach guy. You don't like it. You talk about sand or this or that and the other. And he's like, I know, but I went and I had a great time. And I you think know why? that is important. He, he went during a weekday when there were less people. He probably just hates people. Yeah. And that I completely understand. And, and again, I, I, yeah, I agree. Uh, but, at least yeah. let's not talk about how coarse sand is like Anakin Skywalker. No, no I, but I did think of that. Anytime someone says something about the beach and they don't like sand, how can you not think of episode two? I mean, uh, my but, God, that is, it, that is, that is George Lucas's legacy right there. Forget but, everything uh, else he's ever done. That's it. The, totally. Uh, you're telling me. Uh, but yes, all of this is like, it almost like it's like he finally gets it. Like, at, like he finally, Brett finally gets what he can do. To, to make things, to at least start to make things better with his wife. And I like that. And I love the conversation he and Alex have at the airport about it. Um, and that and that also makes what happens, that's what makes it happens with David and Michelle so much worse and the tenseness and everything with it uh, because of this realization Brett is having separately. Uh, yeah, I love the fact that Alex directly calls out Brett at the airport before he leaves for New Orleans. Like, I think it's a really great moment, especially after what Alex has done and maybe hasn't had the success. But he sees that Brett actually needs to do this. Uh, also, David and Alex basically, they cut the same promo, so to speak. And I, I it just works out for David so much better, which just goddamn it. Just goddamn it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that is uh, that is season one. Uh, episode eight was called Not So Together, which makes sense. <laughs> Next month, Kevin, we are going to be talking about the second and final season of Togetherness. And I know... Uh, maybe as soon as we get off of this podcast, you're probably going to start because you really want to know. You want to you want to get to a better place. You you don't want the you want the heartbreak to feel good. Maybe not right as soon as we get off this, but yes, pretty soon. And that I think is one of the best strengths of this show. It is it is really easy to watch. You know, it's 30 minutes. It's 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 light. It has a lot of heaviness to it, but it's light enough to watch. Where like. I, you know, I, I usually pace myself and with half hour shows, I try to only watch like two in a night. So I'm just not oversaturating myself, but I had a, I had a, an, a free afternoon and I was going to watch two then. And I ended up watching all the final four in a thing because I was so compelled by what was going on and it was just so easy to watch. So I think if that's it, this probably won't end up being like one of my favorite shows we watch, but it is very enjoyable, um, even with its flaws. And I at least care about where, where the characters go next. Yeah, I think that's the most important thing is, like, I don't think a show ever has to be perfect. I think if you are compelled by the characters, I think that's what matters the most. And as long as the characters are making interesting choices, I think that's what that's that's what counts in my mind. And I I really respect a lot of the decisions the Duplass brothers make. There are some that maybe I don't respect as much, but I really feel like we end in, a, in an interesting place with all of the characters I didn't mention this, but I think this pilot is really, really good. 
I like again. I've seen this show before, but watching this pilot again, it just sucked me in all over again. Just the way it was executed, the way they introduced all the characters. I I found the pilot to be incredibly compelling, and it just set the show up for success. I think there's so many comedies that come out of the gate, and I think it's totally fair. I think comedy is just harder to calibrate than drama. So I just think with shows like The Office or Parks and Rec, it takes like 10 episodes to figure it out. This show basically comes out fully formed, and I think it's because the Duplass brothers kind of knew what they were doing. I think they really had the right people that they were casting, and I just think that their process just really lends itself to itself to this kind of specificity, even if you do fall into some of the tropes and the cliches. I also think that when they were casting uh, guest actors, they were very judicious. Um, Ken Marino, Peter Gallagher, uh, they they just did a really really good job of of casting people, and I think that's that is super super important because I think this could have this just could have fallen by the wayside really really easily, and yeah I uh, I really appreciated uh, rewatching this again I I just I was very surprised how much I really really liked this season I knew I liked the show. But it, I, I, on this rewatch, it felt elevated for me in a way um, to where I would say, like, I don't know that this is, like, in my 100 or, like, even 50 greatest shows of all time. But this is a really, really good show, and I'm really excited to watch season two. You know what I was thinking? Like, I would love to watch more of Alex and Tina together. i love to watch more Alex and Brett together. If this was just Brett and Michelle, I'd jump off a cliff. I would, too. I think Alex and Tina are, I almost wonder if there was a version that was mostly focused on Brett and Michelle. I think you need Alex and Tina. They are. You have to. Yeah. I, I just think Amanda Pete and Steve Zesis, they are, they like, I think they even the show out. I think, I really like Melanie Zinsky and Mark Duplass, but I think they really need that, that contrast. Yes, absolutely. And I even do love a moment like, you know, episode seven ends pretty poorly for, Melanie and Brett, but the beginning of episode eight, you see them all eating dinner together, the four of them, and they're all very happy and stuff. So I like that too. Like, yeah, not everything has to be gloom and doom all the time, you know? Yeah, I I really appreciate. I, I just wish they'd filled in the blanks more. I think that would be 100%. one thing. I wish they'd done a better job of that. But yeah, uh, this is a really really good show, and I'm really excited to talk about season two. But like, I think this show, I think I think you're gonna walk away, Kevin, thinking this was canceled too soon in a big way. Okay. Not that well, there's a huge. I, there's not a huge cliffhanger to send season two. This is not like, this isn't like uh, Veronica Mars. Yeah, it's not like Veronica Mars. But With Keith Mars wondering, and you're like, no, we're never gonna know. Yeah, yeah this isn't like it. that. But you're definitely, I think, gonna walk away w- wanting a third season. Okay, that's fair. Uh, Kevin, anything else to add before we head on out of here? No, I'm like I said, I'm just uh, I'm looking forward to watching uh, season two and uh, closing out 2022 with yes. Yes, uh, next month we will be back at the end of the month to talk about Togetherness Season 2. Make sure to listen. Uh, Brian and I will be back in two weeks to talk about Black Panther 2, Kevin. Get your Kleenex and tissues ready. And then we will be doing a very special Christmas-themed month. So definitely check that out on The Real World uh, and check out everything that Kevin does. Uh, Where's your blog again? Kevin-Ford.com or kford13.wordpress.com. Go read about wrestling as long as Kevin is reviewing it. Who knows how long Kevin's going to review wrestling? Who knows? Good question. All right, for Kevin, my name is Jerome. Thank you so much for listening. We will talk to you again next month.
I think the biggest shame of Tina not giving Alex a hand job is that we never discovered if a hand job is enough to get you a fruit basket. 